Blog Talk Radio. How's the weather there? It's always rainy. <laughs> always, always rainy. I think as, as I say that now, and I look up, we have some sun poking through, but that is coming through what they call a sucker hole here, and it took me a little bit to figure out what that was, and I was so excited my first year here to see sun poking through, and someone walked by and said, that's a sucker hole, and I said, what's a sucker hole? And they said, you're the sucker, and as I looked up, the sun disappeared again. Oh, sucker hole. Okay. So <laughs> that's what we have. A lot of sucker holes in our in our winter. So Well how's the weather with you? It's raining. We just had a huge thunderclap and the, now the sky's opened up and it's pouring. Uh oh. Yeah. We've had a in, lot of in rain. Sunny San Diego. Yeah. The uh, uh it's a silly thing, the song that says it never rains in California. It does. <laughs> yes, I just wonder if that person was ever here. Uh, <laughs> probably not. Yeah, they probably wrote that from Connecticut or something. I mean, at least when um, Mel Torme wrote Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire in the Middle of the Summer, he'd actually been places. He was brought up in New York, so he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They were, they, they, it was Christmas and they were trying to get their mind off the heat wave in California, so they were thinking of all the things about Christmas, and that's how they came up with the song. <laughs> is that real, is that the real story of that? Mm-hmm. Well, at least according to Mel, he told the story on an interview. Uh, you, you know, he, he was a rack and, you know, he was a rack and Terry. He could have easily, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great story for it. That's a great story. Yeah. I, it is the story of it, according to him during that interview. I think it was on Johnny Carson or Murph Griffin, one of those shows. <laughs> he would be the guy. He would know. Yeah. Yep. And even if it wasn't at the time, if that's what he said it is now, well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> yep, he could change it. Yep. Yep. And I mean, yep. there's, there's some people that tell stories you don't know if it's true or not, but you don't care because they're such great storytellers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. 
I've had a few of those guys in my life. I've had a couple, almost Forrest Gump-like people where, you lived through that too? And that? And that? Like, I don't even care if that's not true, because it's just such a great story. Did you ever hear of the actor David Niven? Oh, yeah. He was a great storyteller. He, oh, he was, um, I, I actually have his, he, he wrote a couple of books, and I have, my mom and dad loved him. My dad met him on a train when he was in the Air Force. Um, but cool. the one I have is The Moon is a Balloon. I don't. I know my dad had both of them, but I don't know where it is. But he's such. He. You don't know what's real or what isn't. You don't really care because the stories are so good. <laughs> sure, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. People with the right voice and uh, right, not just the right cadence. And you bet. Like I don't care. Just tell me any story. Doesn't matter. You know, I'll never forget. Um, I was about nine or ten, and I was watching the Oscars, and streaking was very popular. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah, sure, for sure. And they did that right behind him, and he came up with a best <laughs> quit, and I can't say it, because even though he got away with it, I couldn't. <laughs> Look it up. It's on YouTube. <laughs> okay. I will. Okay. I'll make a note of that to find out Yeah, it's funny. But, yeah. And he, he was pretty much a straight, he was pretty much a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I think, I think the oddest conversation you're into right before COVID I just I ran into Dennis Rodman and oh. weirdest set of circumstances. We ended up taking a walk and riding a ferry from uh, Newport Beach over to Balboa Island. And as we're riding this ferry, as we're taking this walk, talking, all these people are just jumping like step, like step in front of him and take a picture with him. He would just kind of lean down, and smile, and like, "Oh hi," and. and Never actually talking to people. It was he was just so used to this happening. And as we got on the thing, so Dennis was kind of drunk. This was at noon, and my company that I work for was having a uh, team building event at this restaurant, and we had rented the patio. And when we got there, a couple of us got there early. Dennis was on the patio smoking cigars, and it was an enclosed patio, and the whole room smelled like cigars. And mm -hmm. so. One of, one of the managers there was like, oh, this isn't going to work. And so she goes over to try to convince him, hey, can you stop smoking cigars? And he just kind of smiled at her and tried to talk to her. And so she goes off to get the manager, and he locks onto me. Comes up, what are you guys doing? I tell him what we're doing. And he's like, cool, cool. Do you want to go, go for a stroll? Oh, okay. And so we just start walking around Newport Beach out there. And I realized I'm never going to have another chance to ask you this. How did you end up? Hanging out with Kim Jong Un <laughs> or Korea. Lose the shade looks and goes, I didn't know who that guy was. <gasps> Stop it. For real? You didn't know he's like, I didn't know who he was. He's like, I didn't. He's like, There's you know, you got Northern California, there's North America. He's like, I thought I'm just going to a different part of Korea and they had apparently asked Michael Jordan to come first 
And Michael Jordan was like, no, I'm not coming over there. And so they talked to Dennis. He's like, you bet I'll come over. And so he goes over over there not knowing much about what he's getting into, according to him. And gets, and so he tells me this whole story about hanging out with Kim Jong-un. And, and like, what do you talk about when you're hanging out with this guy? Is they drank brandy all night and they talked about girls and cars and basketball and like we just talk about normal things like we didn't talk about politics or countries or you know executing people like I never heard anything about that and next day he goes home and and then uh, gets invited back and but this time before he comes back the state department starts calling him saying hey you can't be doing this you're going to start an incident like you can't you can't control it over there and so he's like well so he hangs up with the phone and says, well, you know, because they're telling me I can't go, I'm going for sure now. Well, he's over there another time. So I think he said he ended up going three times. But the gist of it is he didn't know who the, who this guy was when he went over there. He just got an invite and thought, oh, cool, I'll go and hang out with the ruler of this country. And it was the craziest conversation because as he's telling me this, I realized there are very few people in the world that can tell you anything about Kim Jong-un at all. And you've actually hung out with this guy. It was the weirdest conversation. We walked around for about 30 minutes, took this ferry ride back, and and then he left with his people, and that was the end of my Dennis Rodman experience. I got a picture with him on the ferry and talked about Kim Jong-un, and it was the weirdest 45 minutes ever. That is bizarre. <laughs> oh, my God. And he didn't know who he was? I with him. I, oh, you could you could miss him. You could as soon as you could just tell who he was from the back of him, just by his tattoos, and he had I think his hair was blonde or purple or something like. You you knew he was someone just when you saw the back of him. And then he turned around. He's got that big uh, lip ring that you're like, oh, that's Dennis Rodman. And then no, no, yeah, I meant I meant Dennis didn't you know who Kim Jong Jun whatever how I never know how to say his name you right. According. Kim Jong-un, yeah, according to Dennis, he had no idea who this guy was, even, and so, as he's telling me that, I'm thinking, there's no way, but then I realized, well, you're not making your own, because I thought, what, didn't you realize when it was so hard to get to North Korea, that there must be something going on, but he doesn't make his own travel arrangements, so he doesn't know, he's, I don't, I didn't know anything, I just know I'm going to North Korea to play some basketball, and I didn't know anything about it, and yeah, it took him two trips before he caught on. Uh-oh. This is a bad man. <laughs> this is not a great guy. And then the third... Somehow, State Department of People got to him. And so he got drunk. Although he's like, I'm upset. And so I started drinking. And when I get off the plane, the media catches me. And I'm drunk. And he's like, so I end up crying on TV. And, and then he just kind of looked at me. As he's telling me the story, he's like, I'm crying on TV. And then he waves his hand and says, F it. He's like, that's it. And that's the end of the story. He's like, yep, I'm back to Wow. Huh. <laughs> that's the weirdest story ever. Yeah, I can yeah. kind of understand yeah, just, that he didn't know. You know, maybe he, I'm not political. I mean, I know who people are. But I'm not a political person. I can, if you're not a political person and you don't really care, you don't really know anything outside of your own country. I mean, yeah. there are people here in the United States who don't know who Boris Johnson is. Sure, yeah. 
And that's just, as, yeah, as I was talking to him, I kind of realized that, like, you have no reason to know who he is. In his, in Dennis's world, Dennis is, Dennis is the center of Dennis's world. So, <laughs> I don't know who anyone is that, that doesn't affect me. That's kind of Dennis's thing. So, yeah, it was just, a, it was a very interesting thing to, from what you're saying, yeah, you know, to look at it in that light, that, like, that is amazing that you don't know who that person is being who the person you are in the world. Because Kim Jong-un certainly knew who Dennis Rodman was. And so then to find out, I'm like, that guy knows you, but you don't have any idea who he is. It was just a, it, it was a very cool insight to his life. The, also, the other crazy thing is, is he had a um, ankle monitor on. As we're talking, as, as he told me the story, I looked down and I, and I said, what's that? And I pointed at his ankle, and he's like, oh, man, you know, ballet studio and those hookers. No, what are we talking about? What? And then he just kind of laughed it off and like, no, ain't no thing. So I find out later that he had just recently been arrested for breaking and entering to a ballet studio and he had prostitutes with him. So somehow this plays into it. And, but obviously no one is monitoring this monitor because he's out with me on a ferry at noon and he's drunk. So Guinness's world is not like our world. That is, that is the moral of that story. I don't know if I could survive a day in Dennis's world, but it was the most bizarre conversation I've ever had the chance to have. Yeah, I ooh, I don't even know what I would have done if I saw him. I just probably would have not said anything. <laughs> I, yeah, I never had any attention, and I don't know how it was that he laughed on to me, and people asked after the fact. Did he know Sticky? Did he know your cat? And I'm like, you know, I didn't even bring up the cat. That would have been the weirdest. Oh, that would be that weird would if he knew, if he had any kind of affection toward animals. I would, okay, he would increase in my estimation. <laughs> <laughs> so then, the, the odd end of that story is that when I get home from that trip, I look on my Facebook. So he, he Facebook friended me. <gasps> as fact. As we have this conversation, he Facebook friends me. And I'm like, okay. And so my wife saw that before I even got a chance to tell her that I'm hanging out with. And she's like, did you know, it's just sending me a text. Do you know Dennis Rodman just Facebook friended you? And I'm like, oh, yes, I did. And I'm with him. And I sent her this picture. And she was just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> so, so when I get home, I look at my thing, and I realize we have a mutual friend. And I'm like, who in the world do I know that is mutual friends with Dennis Rodman? Well, it turns out that I do know someone that used to be his assistant. And so I texted her, but I didn't know that. I didn't know she was his assistant. I just knew her. And so when I, I texted her, I'm like, hey, how, how did this happen? That, you know, she, oh, I work for him. And I'm like, that's crazy. And I said, I just met him. And uh, I tell her, you know, it was just a really short meeting. And she's like, oh, I'm glad you didn't hang out with him. Who knows where you would have ended up? So she starts telling crazy stories about him, you know, just taking off in the middle of the night because taking a group of guys to Central America because someone owed him 20 bucks. And so she ended up he's bipolar and he has some other issues. Plus he has some substance abuse problems. So things can go from zero to a hundred in seconds with him. And she's like, I, she could only do it for about six months. And then she's like, I couldn't, I couldn't even keep up with it. I just had to, okay, I can't do this job. So that was, so it turned out I did know someone that also knew him and they had a little more insight into his world. So, yeah, it was, like I said, one of the more bizarre days that I've ever had. 
other than my Neil Diamond story. That would be like my second most bizarre day. But did you yeah. want to tell that too? Oh, we weren't doing the thing when I told you that, were we? No. No. Oh yeah, no. Yes, I had the opportunity. Someone called me. I was I worked in the concert business for many years, and someone called me one night and they asked if I uh, wanted to be someone's assistant the next day. Someone was in town, and I said, "Who is it?" And they said, "Well, we can't tell you, but they'll pay you five hundred dollars for the afternoon." I said, "Oh, you bet! I will. <laughs> I will be that assistant you, for just about anyone. I it'd be a short list of who I would do that for for five hundred dollars. You bet." So. Um, so I met them at a hotel the next morning, and it turned out to be this older gentleman and his younger assistant. If I would have seen them in anywhere else, I would have thought it was someone and his daughter. And so this guy's got a baseball cap on and these thick glasses and gray hair and a little tiny ponytail and looks like I'm a grandpa. He looks like me. Looks like anybody's grandpa. And uh, we get in the car and we start driving, and he said, um, he's mentions, hey, I sure would like a cup of coffee. And as I go to tell him where the coffee shops are, his assistant looks at me and puts her finger over her mouth and kind of shooks me and then kind of taps her chin like as in tell me. And so I kind of tell her this Starbucks is up here and there's one in this grocery store. And so she uh, turns to Neil. She says, uh, Neil, there's a, and she just repeats exactly what I said, even though we're in the backseat of a car. So it's, he obviously heard what, if I whispered, he would have heard what I said. And so she tells him, and then I realize, oh, that's how this is going to go. Okay, so we don't talk to Neil. So we ended up getting his coffee. We drive around Sacramento for a little bit, kind of showing him we wanted to go by the Capitol, and we show him to the Capitol and this kind of thing. And then uh, the, we walked to a grocery store that was near the arena in Sacramento there, and another van pulls up, and it's his chef and another couple of assistant people. and his assistant, who is named Amy, hands me this wad of cash and says, go inside the grocery store and find the manager and tell him we just want to shut down the grocery store for a minute so Dale can walk through and we can figure out what we're, what they're pushing for the food. You're kidding. And so I kind of, no, so I kind of laugh. I'm like, I don't know what kind of fool you think I have in this town, but I don't think I can shut down a grocery store for you. And she's like, give him the money and just tell him who's in the car and it'll work. And I'm like, okay. So I go into the grocery store. And I'm laughing as I, I find the manager, and I'm laughing as I tell him that he doesn't even pause. He just immediately jumps on the microphone, says, you know, shoppers, please come to aisle one or however they do it. And they gather the few shoppers that are up in this grocery store, and they send them to this aisle. They check these people out, and this wad of cash turned out to be $5,000 cash. Wow. Yeah, so they're shutting this down, paying this guy $5,000 to shut this down just so Neil can walk through. And so... The chef comes in to follow Neil, and so it's Neil and Amy walking up. He would Neil would look at something on the shelf like he'd never been in a grocery store before. He would pick up a bottle of olives and look at it for a minute, and he'd go, huh. And he'd set it back on the shelf. He'd walk ahead. The chef would come behind him, pick up that bottle of olives, and put it in the cart. So it was Neil couldn't put the thing from the shelf to the cart. The chef would have to come take it from the shelf and put it in the cart. It was just this, they all had it down though. It was just a system of, we don't talk to Neil, we know exactly what Neil wants as we walk through the store. And so, another incredibly interesting thing to watch, but also a very bizarre world to, must, must be to live in. That's so, so sad, isn't it? It was very lonely. It seemed very lonely. Just, 
these people are all there, you know, around him and do, at his whim and do his beck and call, but they're only they're there because he has all this money and he's paying them to be there, and no, none of them probably would have been there had it not been for him paying them to be there. It just seems that it seems very sad and lonely. Um, yeah, so they have this florist there, and he picks up, he has them bring off any flowers out, his crew has them bring these flowers out, so they buy all the flowers that were in this forest, they buy whatever they're making, and they go back, and they ended up putting these flowers underneath his stage in these dark tunnels where he would pop up at different spots of the stage. You couldn't see the flowers, but he could smell them, and he just wanted to smell this as he walked through these tunnels. At the end of the show, they looked at the stage, they left two thousand dollars worth of flowers just sitting in the middle of hardcore arena floor for the cleaning crew to clean up and just left them there literally flowers in the dark so he could smell them as he walked from one spot of the stage to the other spot of the stage that is so weird i was just so thinking weird. they um i remember when michelle obama was the first lady she was a target with the Secret Service, but she, there were people. They didn't close down. They didn't knock anybody out. She because she didn't want them to. She wanted to feel a little bit right. more like herself, and so she went shopping sure. at Target with the Secret Service. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that would seem like yeah. He didn't need to do that. I mean, there's he had enough people around him that people wouldn't have bothered him. And when I asked the manager about it, I said, "Wow, you did that quick." He said, "Oh, we're used to it." That. Uh, because it was so close to that arena that they that we get in a lot. People would come in and they just want a, an hour of shopping and they don't want to be bothered. And wow, okay, so, so it, it seems like a very lonely life. Is that like rock star normal? It's not any that I saw. I've never seen that other. When I would tell people that story, people that knew the music business would tell me that Dwight Dwight Yoakam does that too. But I I had never seen it. I mean. We did shows with, um, one of the nicer ones was, was Toby Keith. And, you know, that guy would come down and eat with the crew every night and hang out and wanted to know about your kids and just the most normal guy in the world. And, you know, one of the cooler things after I found Sticky, um, I would have a lot of kids asking for autographs and I learned this trick from Toby. Our little boy came up, and he, they both had baseball hats on, and the little boy said, hey, can you sign my hat for me? And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll sign my hat for you if you sign your hat for me. And that little boy's eyes, it was like, I'm sure that kid will remember that forever, that Toby Keith wanted his autograph, too. And so they swapped hats. And, uh, so yeah, I, that was the kind of, I, that was, you know, the story I saw a lot was, they're just normal people wanting to have normal lives, but I had never come across anything like that. And like that's, I said, I was I was happy to get out of there that day. That's so crazy. Ugh. Yeah. Um. So you were in the music industry. Are you still in the music industry? I'm not. I I miss it very much, but um, I had I have two. So we have two sets of kids. We have an older set of kids that are 30 and 27. And as they got older, that's they were in the, I was in the music business when they were kids. And as they got older, I got to take bigger tours and things like that. And then we found out we were going to have twins. And those kids were almost out of school. I didn't want to miss 
anything of the twins, and that was a lot of work to ask my wife to take care of. Here, take care of these twins while I go play with rock stars. And so um, I became a um, HVAC engineer, an air conditioning engineer, and that rolled into um, management of facilities. And so um, that's really, really what I do is I manage people. That's kind of what I learned in the music business. If you can manage, if you can manage rock star crews for any length of time, you can manage just about anybody. So that's really what I. That's what I do. And I bring that up all the time. I always use my my music business, and everybody laughs until I solve the problem with it. See, it's it doesn't seem like it fits, but it fits so much of life. Just if you can make that work, if you can make anything work in the rock star world, you can make it work in real life. That's funny. I love it. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to talk about Sticky. Sticky the kitty. Yeah. The kitty. My little buddy. Yeah. What would you like to know about Mr. Sticky? Well, um, how did he come into your life? How did it become such a big boom? And um, how did you start writing the book? Well, um, I'd always wanted to write kids' books. So those older set of kids that I tell you about, that I just told you about, we um, we used to make up stories all the time and. We would write some of them down, and it was just fun, and we had little characters that we invented, and but I never had an audience to do it, and as you know, it, that is not something you just pick up and like, okay, now I write books, and, and that's what I do, so I never had the avenue to do it. So then, fast forward to two years ago, and up here in Oregon, I'm on my way to work, and it was a cold October, kind of wet morning, and I saw a little black spot up the road. And cars were just kind of flying over it, straddling it, so I didn't really think about it. The truck in front of me went over him, glanced up to the road, and he just popped up. And he must have been laying down when these other cars were going over him. And when I get to him, he pops up, and it was a perfect silhouette of a kitten. I always say he looked like an emoji of a kitten. And his head, you could see his little head shaking. So you realize, oh my gosh, this kitten's alive. And so I stopped the car, and uh, the road had just gone from a one-lane country road to a two-lane road. So the cars behind me started to kind of go around me. So I threw open my door to stop him, and I jumped out, and I get down there to pick him up. And as I'm walking up to him, he looked really wet. And I grabbed him, and I realized he was covered in all I can explain it as is like that old-school rubber cement that came with a little brush of applicator and that you had in school, and uh, just really thick, um, yeah, so he's just covered in this stuff, and as I go to pick him up, his front feet came up, but his back feet were stuck to the road, so I have to peel his feet up, and get his feet pulled up, and he had little glue boots on, basically, and uh, I get him off to the side of the road, and I was looking at the other kittens, and just trying to try to figure out, what, what, how did I just find this kitten covered in this glue? And uh, as I'm doing that, there was people yelling at me, you know, from that stop in my car on the road. Um, that they actually, there's a guy that made it into the book, a little cartoon of a guy yelling at me to get off the road. That was a real person. So <laughs> that's well, that's always my warning to the kids. Is that if you're mean to someone, you might end up in a book forever being mean. Yeah. So yeah, that could happen. That happens quite often, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that does. That guy is forever the mean guy in my book now. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, so we take him, so I took him to uh, work, and uh, we just had that goo gone stuff. And as we're trying to wipe it off his feet, we realize, well, we can't soak this poor kitten in goo gone. That can't be good for anybody. And so we take him to the vet. And in between there, I had made a Facebook post with this kitten sitting on my shoulder. I just put him on my chest, and he climbed up to my shoulder and sat up perfectly, and he's just sitting there smiling at my face as I take this picture. So it wasn't a planned picture. It was just that's what he did. I take the picture, and I send it to my wife to tell her that, hey, we, we found a kitten. And I uh, put it on Facebook to warn other people coming down this road that, you know, watch out for this. My friend asked me to make it public so he could share it. I made it public. I go to the vet. I'm sitting in the vet's office, and the vet tech comes in and said, Hey, channel so-and-so news is on the phone for you. I was like, for what? And they said, about the cat. And I'm like, what? How do they know about the cat? They saw your Facebook post. What? Like, how did that happen? I'm like, I don't know, but they want to talk to you, so... End up doing a little interview with them, and I thought, well, that's the end of, you know, it's just our, our funny story of how we found this cat, and we ended up on the news, and um, we actually did make a police report, and when the police came out to, I showed them where I was, there was a stand of trees off to the side, and they said, did you see anybody standing over there? And, you know, at the time, I told the, the officer, I said, like, man, I just found a cat glued to a road, like, you could have been standing there in a clown suit, and I probably wouldn't have seen you, because I'm trying to figure out why is this cat glued to a road? And so he pointed out, whoever did this to this kitten was probably standing by those trees because they want to see what happens to this. And that is the creepiest thing ever. So fast forward again. So that was on a Friday. I have my 128 Facebook friends. I make this post. Um, by Friday, by Saturday, we had 30,000 likes on this post and people started sending me emails and messages. By Monday, Australian radio stations had gotten my phone number and were calling me and wanted to do interviews about this. And it was up to 100,000 likes or something on this post. So this post goes viral, and I start getting messages from all over the world. It's so much easier to tell you where we didn't get messages from than where we did get them from, because it's literally everywhere. We got messages. It was on the Iraqi news one night, and as they're telling me this, I'm like, for real, they don't have anything else going on over there. And the reporter that was telling me about it pointed out that it, it was all about the hope and who needs more hope than people in a war zone. Yeah. And I'm like, huh. And as you start reading the emails, every one of them said that you, you know, this story has given me hope in people. And so the time that it happened, the world was just so angry with everybody and there was so much just anger and, um, you know, fear and just everything with everyone. And so this little kitten, just the fact that someone would stop for this kitten gave these people hope. And that kind of became the central theme of all of this was, um, was this hope. Now, the weird thing about that is I had worked for the Salvation Army. And if you look at the first pictures, if you look me up on the Internet, the first pictures that you will see of me holding this kitten... I have a pin that says hope on my lanyard for work. My boss at Salvation Army had asked me, if you could do anything as a job, what would you do? And I said, I would try to find a way to give people hope. And he said, huh. As we're thinking about that, we start joking about, you know, like, about who, you know, Oprah has that job already kind of lined up with the giving hope. So you have to find some other way to do this. Well, all of a sudden, a week later, 
every email I get is about these people getting hope in this thing. And so, um, the biggest one that changed this into just going viral into a thing was a poor guy in the UK that sent me a message that he had just been struggling for months, years with mental illness and um, just having a hard time. This poor guy was literally in the process of killing himself, looked up and saw the picture of Sticky sitting on my shoulder of some article that was on the web, stopped killing himself to read this article and find out why this kid was sitting on my shoulder, and it gave him enough hope to, okay, I don't need to kill myself, I will, I will keep going. That's amazing. So, it was the most, I cried so hard when I read this email, because, like I said, that's all I wanted to do was find a way to give people hope, and the most simple act in the world, just literally not running over the kitten. Like, you know, who would run over the kitten that knew this poor kitten was alive? Most people wouldn't do that. But the way people felt at the time, you you, just, you felt like everyone would run over the kitten. That's just what the world felt like. And so, you know, it kind of makes me teary-eyed now thinking about that guy. There was another email right after that that was from a guy in Scotland who hadn't seen his dad in several years and said I wouldn't understand the story behind that, but this my story with Sticky had, for whatever reason, gotten him to call his dad after several years, and it turned out his dad had cancer and was dying, and he wouldn't have gotten to see his dad had he not seen the story about Sticky. So these those two emails were the ones where we're like, this is a, like, we can do something good with this. You know, people get the viral fame or whatever all the time, and then, you know, what do you do with it? And... So we decided, well, we're going to do something with it. I'd always wanted to write these books. So I started writing his books with different messages. The first one about was, which Sticky is the theme of, is the character of these books. And um, the first one is called uh, A Sticky Situation. And it's basically his story without telling kids that someone did this to him. So it's Sticky got himself covered in glue and then needed help. And so we helped him get out of this, and he was able to ask for help, and so we started looking for, you know, the good, the highlights of this story, and making, and giving those messages to kids in a form they can understand, and then while that's happening, my wife started really kind of out of spite, so she, we started getting this, um, people started, someone started to go fund me for, for Sticky, but we didn't need the money, there was nothing to go fund me, it was you know, some mineral oil, and that was the whole deal. So, um, someone said, let's just go fund me. My wife was trying to decide what she was going to do with the money that the GoFundMe raised, and then someone on social media started telling her, or started saying, like, oh, here we go. It was all about the money. This was all about the money. So, she started a nonprofit with every penny that the GoFundMe raised to help low-income families pay for their pet needs and for emergency pet care and emergency pet visits and that kind of thing with the thought being if you teach those kids, you know, to love something, they will learn to love something. A lot of these kids, those low-income families, don't, those kids don't have much to love. So if you can keep their pet healthy, it'll teach them to love and to care about people and teach kindness. And so we always joke that she started this beautiful nonprofit out of spite just to, this, to give back to this person for telling her she was doing it for the money, so it all worked out really well, but that's how we ended up here, is that little guy was glued to a road. Oh, poor little baby. And now he's happy. 
he is the happiest. He, uh, yeah, he kind of rules the, the roost. And since we found him, we have, when we got him, we had two dogs. We are up to four dogs and three cats now. And he knows he's the king. And we always joke that he always tells them that all these other animals are only here because of him. <laughs> so, and he seems to know it. Yeah. I think that's really. Uh, pets seem to know the stuff, you know. Pets are smart. Oh yeah, they he, they know the pecking order for sure. They seem to know he's the, he the king and goes down everything. But that was one of the one of the things that turns out with him is that he ended up being deaf, and um, it doesn't affect him at all. But, and it didn't, we had his ears checked and there was no glue in his ears or anything like that. It just kind of turned out that, by coincidence, he was deaf. So, he didn't have a lot going for him that first day, but he is, life has turned out pretty well for him. So, if he can't hear, how do you call him? You have to go and tap him. Or, you can, if he's close enough, you can tap your foot on the floor and he can feel it. And he'll look at you, but... Yeah, so he doesn't get to go outside because he would be kind of defenseless. So he uh, he doesn't seem too upset by it. He he uh, is perfectly fine in his little cup. Thinking about it, cats never listen to you anyway. That's true. <laughs> the cats that can hear don't really come to me when I call them either. I mean, my cat never listens to me. I tell no, yep. stop, and so just look at me. Kind of like wiggle your ears and do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my wife's joke was that he's not deaf, he's just being a cat. There's this book, it's a, a mystery series where the the actual det uh, the detective in it is a um, postal worker, but the actual detective in it is a cat. And her her associate is a, a, another cat and a dog, and they're smarter than the people. And they've rescued the person who is uh, supposed to be the detective, even though she's not. I mean, she just gets mixed up in these crazy things. It's really a cute series. Um, something Pie, I can't remember. But it's a really cute series. But I just love books where the animals are smarter than the people. Yeah, we, I think ours might kind of be that way. <laughs> We're the, the characters, so every character in the book is either their real pet brother or sister, it's one of our real animals, or it's us in there. And um, that was one thing I had the artist when he was illustrating it. I said, I've had enough character caricatures of me drawn to know that they make my head really big and they make me fat. Please don't make me fat. This is, I'm going to be in this book forever. <laughs> and so, so it's, it is the super fit version of me. Perfect. <laughs> Speaking of being in books forever. Yeah, yeah that's true. We all have our, yeah. our tiny bit of ego there. You know, that's normal. That was it. Yeah, that was it. And it, it's really the, the big head thing is bigger, is the more important. And I will say, I have a big head. All my, I have a big head. My wife will tell you all of my friends have big heads. And so you guys have big melons. Just a big head, <laughs> and they catch on to that as a caricature, and they always, they always, always do that to me. So, okay, could be like a big anyway, brain. There could be a big brain. There we go. In the big oh, head. Like yep. 
Big brain. Big head means big brain. That's right. Hey. Okay. Go with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's what I got. So it works for me. So do you have any kind of virtual events coming up or um, virtual conventions or anything like that? I don't have anything coming up right now. We, I had a bunch of um, Zoom visits uh, at the end of last year, classroom visits, and those are always so fun because, um, well, because of Sticky's, Sticky, the, uh, people say my fan base, I don't have a fan base, Sticky has a fan base, so because of his fan base, um, those little books have gotten into 22 countries so far, we've shipped them to, and... Um, they're used in schools all around the country, um, lessons on kindness and empathy, and um, gotten to know a lot of really cool teachers who kind of pass, pass them on to other teachers who invite me to their classrooms, and so those are always super fun, and, um, but I don't have any scheduled right now. We're going to uh, work on trying to find a publisher, and so we've done seven books, and they've all been self-published. Um, and this last Christmas, they it got to be a lot of work. And so we've gotten to the point where it's a great problem to have, but it's so busy that I can't do it by myself and keep real life going. Because as we talked about earlier, you know, there's not a, not a lot of money in kids' books. Mm-hmm. So, so I have to keep my real life going, too. And so we've gotten to that point where I need some, a little help. And so we're looking for publishers and that kind of thing. Um so that's kind of what we're working on at this point. Cool. And yeah. um, do you have a website where people can I do. look at your stuff? We do. And your pictures of the little um, kitties and doggies. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Um, StickyTheKitty.com is the books and the cartoons and all that, all that stuff. And... You have to make sure you put in stickythekitty.com. Um, there's another website that I won't say because people get confused when they, when they go to that, but we're trying to buy that one and they won't sell it to us yet. But anyway, stickythekitty.com is the books and all that. And then stickythekittyfoundation.org is the nonprofit, and that will tell you about all the things that we support and all of the, uh, yeah, all of the, we do a lot with the Humane Society and, um, Actually, the Pasadena Humane Society um, has been reading my books. They have this cool little program where they they read read of the kids' story and then they introduce cats and dogs that they're trying to adopt out. And so they have been cool enough to use my books and those um, helping adopt out the animals. And so uh, the foundation does a lot of that stuff. We do a lot with the Humane Society and um, different nonprofits. The books side is not part of the nonprofit, but you know, someday we hope that to be I hope to be able to do that as a business and write books and that be my career. But that's the dream for all of us, isn't it? Yeah. Do these kind of things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> someday for all of us. Are you on social media? Could you give like your handle on the different kinds of social media that you're on? You bet. Um Sticky the Kitty is on Facebook, um, so that's, he's got 50-something thousand fans on Facebook and another 10,000 or so on Instagram, and those are really the only two uh, that we do with Instagram and Facebook. 
Um, and my wife does those. And uh, I have my own Facebook page on there, my own Instagram page at the real Chuck Holly. Turned out there was many Chuck Hollies when I decided to be an Instagrammer. <laughs> So I had to steal the real one, which probably upset all the other real ones, but I got it first, though. So. Um, yeah, so the real Chuck Holly at Instagram, and then on Facebook, also just under my name, Chuck Holly and Sticky the Kitty, on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. Um, thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved it. Thank you so much. I had a great, it was great fun talking with you. Thank you. And I'm going to find you on on Facebook and Instagram and, and friend request you, so. Okay, yeah, and under point. my name. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. This is the smell of a warm, three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sniffs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.